Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Now I'm going to have that stuck in my head. Oh, Shania Twain. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go, girls. Giachweave and Tafalcha Raut, back to She Builds podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Like we mentioned, this season, we're going Ijin Nashunta. All of the ladies of our second season are from all over the globe. On today's episode, we will talk about Eileen Gray, the modernist designer who is most known for her residential project E1027 and a wee bit of scandal. I'm Jessica Rogers, mourning the loss of Celario, my celery plant that I was trying to grow based out of Washington, D.C. And I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Lizzie Energy. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rar, caring for Ruby the rubber plant in San Francisco. And I'm Nargiri Rivas, watching my husband care for Mina the Mint in Houston, Texas. Like always, our quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. Cared galore. Let's start from the beginning. Kathleen Eileen Maurice Smith was born on August 9, 1878 in Enniscorthy, County Wexford, Ireland. Her father, James McLaren Smith, was an artist, and her mother, Evelyn Pudin, was part of the aristocracy. She was given the last name Gray when her mother inherited a nobility title. Simul. Interesting. Actually, Eileen's mother, Evelyn, was the granddaughter of Francis Stewart. 10th Earl of Moray. When Eileen's uncle died, her mother became the 19th Baroness Grey. Oh, I see. Yes. So before Eileen became a part of nobility, her parents had actually split up when Eileen was only seven years old. Her father had left Ireland to go live and paint in Europe. Her mother lived in London, so Eileen would split her time between London and Ireland. Wait a minute. Who was she visiting in Ireland? Her family? Because 
both her mom and dad left. Well, her dad eventually ended up moving back to Ireland and living there. Ah, after the mother left. I see. Yes. So when Eileen's mother became a baroness, Eileen's father changed his name to Smithgrave by royal license. And all of the children changed their last names to Gray, too. How convenient. He got a name change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the kids to get the name, he changed his name. Is that how it works? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. At the age of 20, Eileen became one of the first women admitted to the Slade School of the Arts in London. It's a very prominent school in London where she studied painting and later she started an apprenticeship in a lacquer shop. So lacquer at the time was a very specialized medium. Lacquered panels and screen were very popular. Right. And at that time, you would typically see depictions of landscapes like the ones that were seen in Japan, such as the work of Seizo Sugawara. Also, when I think of lacquer, I think of lacquered wood furniture. Yeah, me too. Yes. So Eileen, she was interested in all of it. While she was at Slade, she met a furniture restorer named Dean Charles. Eileen really liked working in lacquer, and she ended up moving to Paris in 1902 to further her training in lacquer and cabinet making. She even established herself as one of the leading designers of the lacquered screens and decorative panels. So Lizzie, you mentioned Seizu's Sugawara. Interestingly enough, Eileen also learned from him when he lived in Paris. And in 1910, Eileen and Seizu had even opened up a lacquer workshop together where they would produce pieces for Paris's richest clients. Oh, fancy. Mm-hmm. Eileen loved learning and working with the lacquer material. She even developed something called lacquer disease, which basically was a rash on your hands. Madam, My soul! The heck is lacquer disease? That sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was very painful, but of course that didn't stop Eileen. Either way, the shop only lasted for about four years because in 1914, World War I happened. And get this, Eileen actually served in the war by being an ambulance driver. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Hopefully she was fast. I bet she was really good. And... At least she got a break from that lacquer disease, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Paris was getting a little too crazy and Eileen ended up going back to London to wait out the war. Aye, understandable. (laughs) Eventually, Eileen was able to move back to Paris. And in Paris, Eileen was hired to redesign the interiors of Rue de Lota apartment of a socialite, Juliette Levy, or better known as Madame Mathieu Levy. She owned a fashion house and a millinery shop, so like a hat shop. This project led to critical acclaim and had tremendous reviews, which then led Eileen to open up her own shop in 1922 called Jean Desert. Wait, what? Why desert? Okay, so the shop was named after an imaginary male friend named Jean. And desert was because Eileen really liked North African deserts. <laughs> That's so random. what she sell in the shop? Yeah. Okay. So before I tell you what she sold, I just want to point out that Eileen actually designed the storefront. Interesting enough. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah. In the, yeah. So in the shop, she, <laughs> she sold those screen panels and she also sold a lot of furniture pieces. 
There were also these like geometric rugs that were designed by Eileen. And in the shop, there was also a lot of exotic woods, ivory, and furs. Very reminiscent of the Art Deco period. Ooh, I love the Art Deco movement. It's very luxe. Yeah. For those that don't know, think early 1920s, Great Gatsby style, that kind of thing. Yeah. So in the mid-20s, when modern architecture was starting, or modern design, I should say, started taking place, Eileen became more interested in modern design, and her pieces became much more simpler and industrial-like. So Jessica, when are we going to get to E1027? Yeah, you're leaving us in suspense. Okay, okay. But before we get into that, let's start from the beginning, which started when Eileen became romantically involved with a Romanian architect. Jean Badovici, who was 15 years her junior. Skanalach. <laughs> Do you think, Chico Wang? Yeah, girl. <laughs> How old was she then? 43. Hmm. Ooh, I bet she was like, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> Let's go, girls. <laughs> okay. I had to finish it. I love it. It was right there. (laughs) Anyway, it was Jean that got her interested in architecture and encouraged her to learn more. So between 1922 to like about 1926, Eileen created a somewhat informal architecture internship for herself. She would read books. She took drafting lessons. She would ask architects to take her to building sites. She even traveled with her architecture booth thing, Jean, to look at and study key buildings and learn more about design. Was she dating Jean when her shop went on? Like, that, isn't that the yeah, name of her shop? Yeah, na- because the name of the shop is Jean Desert. I was wondering that too. Huh, maybe. I guess so. Well, the whole thing sounds like a cute romantic comedy, like love in the time of architecture. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay. So in 1926, Eileen bought property in a town near Monaco that would become the now E1027. This land was intended for her to share with Jean. It's What was interesting, though, was that Eileen had to buy the land because in France, they didn't allow for foreigners to purchase land. So Eileen purchased the land and put it on Jean's name. So essentially, Eileen bought the land, put Jean's name on it, and then made him Eileen's client. Wait, so Eileen isn't a foreigner? Did she have French citizenship? Yeah, what's going on? And if she wanted the land, why didn't she put it in her name? Yeah. Like, why did she put it in his name? And and I've always been wondering, why did she call it E1027? Okay. So, yeah, eventually Eileen became a French citizen. And why she put the land under his name? Honestly, I don't know. People do stupid things when they're in love. But to answer your question, Nergity, E1027 was actually a code word for the lovers. Ooh. Ta. So the E is for Eileen. 10 is for the letter J, meaning Jean. The 2 for the letter B for Badovici. And the 7 is for the letter G for Gray. Cute. Yes. And this house is amazing. It was essentially designed all by Eileen. You know, Jean, he would travel, I guess, working on his own projects. But Eileen actually stayed on the property while it got built. 
So she really got to study the property that was located near the seaside. You can see in the exterior of E1027, floor-to-ceiling concertina windows open to the Mediterranean Sea, providing light and views, yet rolling shutters and two strips of canvas shield the villa's interiors from being seen, thereby also blocking harsh afternoon sunlight and framing the seaside vista. It sounds so nice. Yeah. The rolling shutters and canvas shield look really particular in pictures. It gives the facade a distinct look. Yes. So this was during the time that modern architecture became really popular, right? So can we think of an architect who was so influential that he basically influenced the whole modernist movement? I'll give you one clue. He wrote the treatise Veras und Architektur. Corbu. The famous Le Corbusier. Friend of Jane Drew, usurper of Shandigar. Mm. That's right. Corby Corb. Eileen was obsessed with his modernist principles, and this design was a reflection of that. E1027 is on pelotes. It has a free facade. It also has these horizontal windows. Ah, I see. Yes. So, pelotis, the free facade, and the horizontal windows, those are all part of Le Corbusier's five points on new architecture. The other two points that Corbusier includes are roof gardens and the open floor plan. Yes. Okay. So now that you mentioned open floor plan, E1027 in contrast, privacy was very important. Inside, the house refrains from using an open plan. Its interior spaces aren't immediately revealed. Rooms are private places waiting to be discovered. Entering either the bedroom or living room, boudoir, for example, it would require walking around a series of corners. Simul. So knowing that Eileen started in furniture, she must have designed some stuff for the house, right? Yes. So the space was pretty tight. So Eileen had to get creative. Wardrobes would open to become walls. The living room sofa would turn into a bed. And a whole host of cupboards and other bespoke furnishings are either embedded or intrinsically in tune with the rest of the house. Oh, it sounds like my dream home. Yeah. So some standout pieces were the E1027 table, which is very iconic now. It's this small tubular table with glass, which we'll be sure to include an image of it in our show notes. Now for some skanalak. Ooh, spill that tea. Hi, T. Pinky's up. <laughs> yes, there, there are so many things. I, I don't even know where to begin. So, okay. So you remember Eileen's boo thing, Jean? Uh-huh. How could we forget? Okay. So Jean was friends with Corbu. And Corbu and Jean would visit the villa while it was in construction. And there was some design input from Jean. But after it was built, everyone credited Jean and Corbu and not Eileen. Cared. Of course that happened. Corbu, usurper of Shandigar and E1027. Usurper of all things. Yes. And it wasn't until 1967 with this dude by the name of Joseph Reichwert wrote an essay giving Eileen the proper recognition. Dang, that's a long time to get her recognition. Yep. 
Can't say I'm surprised. That's true. Yeah. There's like a 30 year gap in between once the building was completed versus this article. But you'll understand why. So after the house is completed, Eileen and Jean split up in 1931. And Jean inherited the house where he often stayed there with his new wife. What the what? He lived there with another woman? What a jerk. That's cat. Is that because the house was in his name? Yeah, I guess that would be my assumption. Cajamas. Toro Cajamas. Yeah. Cajamas indeed. But my other thought was that Eileen was just over the whole relationship and she just started working on her new house, the Temp Apaya, above the nearby town of Menton. But now for some more mess. More? Oh boy. Yes. Okay, so Le Corbusier, as a guest of Jean, would occasionally stay in the E1027 house for long periods of time. He was obsessed with the house. He loved it, and he would try to make it his own. And against Eileen's design intent, he painted murals on the walls. <gasps> at, yeah, and at one point, he even tried to buy the house, but failed. He instead purchased a property nearby where he built a small cabin called the Cabanon de Valcons. What an egomaniac that he thought he could just come in and change their house. Talk about a usurper. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Very Corby Corb Corb Corbu Corp. Mm. But it doesn't stop there. The degradation continued during World War II when German soldiers practiced their aim against the E-1027 walls. What did they do to it? They used the walls for target practice. So the walls were already vandalized by Corbu, and now they have bullet holes because of the Nazis. Oh, I thought you were saying that as like a figure of speech, but you meant it literally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nazis adding insult to injury. Jeez. Oh, and there's more. So on August 27, 1965, Le Corbusier's body washed up on the shores below the house having drowned after going swimming against his doctor's orders. Kurt Sanyavo. Yes. Okay, but there's even more. Oh! In, <laughs> in 1980, E-1027's then-owner, Marie-Louise Schaubert, was found dead in her flat in Zurich. Three days prior, her physician, Dr. Peter Kaiji had secretly snuck almost all of Eileen Gray's original furniture out and auctioned it off in Zurich. When Schobert died, Kaji inherited the house, using it to host an array of hedonistic affairs, notably drug-fueled orgies. And in 1996, this came to an end when he was murdered in the living room. <laughs> I, have, I have no words. Yes. In the words of G. Stefani, this is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It is bananas. But okay, let's go back to Eileen. Okay, good. I don't know if I could have done another one. <laughs> Me neither. I already did the song. <laughs> yes. Done. Okay. So like I mentioned, shortly after the completion of E-1027 and the breakup, Eileen started working on her own house and she worked on other projects that never really got built. And when I said before that Eileen was over her relationship with Jean, she was. After her breakup with Jean, homegirl started dating the French singer and actress Damia. She was really over it. Seriously, they dated? I like her music. Yeah, it's not That's bad. That's cool. 
Oh, nice. So now we are in the 1940s, right? Which is basically when World War II started happening. And during World War II, parts of southern France was occupied, so Eileen had to relocate. And after the war, her new house had been robbed, and most of her work was destroyed. Eventually, she did move back to Paris. And there, she continued to work up until her final date, mostly designing furniture. And in Paris, on October 31st, 1976, at age 98, she passed away. Oh, wow. She died today. We're recording this episode 44 years after her death. Whoa. Ooh, that's a little creepy. Maybe it's poetic. Okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, But seriously, what a dramatic life. It's really interesting to learn the story behind her most famous work and all that crap that went down. I'm happy she was recognized for her achievements before she passed away. We have to go check this place out the next time we're in France. Agreed. I want to see the house for sure. And her story was definitely a roller coaster ride, but I'm happy that we got to learn all these things about her and the history behind the house. Yes. So you can imagine with the dead people, the orgies, the target practice that the (laughs) villa had seen, better days. But in 1999... The villa was bought by the Conservatoire de Littoral, a cultural conservatory, and since then, several efforts have been made to restore the house. The latest is by Cap Modern, which was set up in 2014 to manage E1027, as well as Le Corbusier's adjacent little cabin. And today, you can visit the E1027 by reservations only when they are open to visitors between the months of May to October. Future Arc Venture I'm I'm really excited to go visit that place one day. So now it's time for the second half of our episode, The Karyatid. Nudgity, can you remind the people who and what a karyatid is? Sure thing, chicka wang! A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode will choose a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Yes. So our character for this week's episode is... (laughs) Odile Deck. Okay. So Odile Deck... I would call her a star architect, but she is also a boss. She is an architect based out of France. In 2016, Odile was awarded the Jane Drew Prize after another She Builds Lady. So the, Jane, yeah. so the Jane Drew Prize is awarded for promoting the role of women in architecture. Yeah, my girl, Dame Jane Drew. Woo-hoo. That's so cool <laughs> that Odile won that prize and is promoting women in architecture. How or what is she doing in particular, other than being a boss role model? Okay, so Adil, she has been teaching for over 25 years. She has taught at the Bartlett School in London, SciArc in LA, Columbia University in New York, at Harvard. She was the dean of Paris École Spéciale d'Architecture, ESA, from 2007 until 2012. She had also taught at the school for several years. She even launched her own architecture school in Lyon 
in 2014 Whoa. called the Confluence Institute for Innovation and Creative Strategies in Architecture. After becoming frustrated with the lack of freedom to reform the way the subject was being taught. Ooh, sounds very Margot Taule. Mm. Mm, ta. She is also very engaged and contributes to the discussion of architecture as a profession. She has been known to be outspoken in topics ranging from pay, equity and student enrollment, women's rights while working, down to even defending her iconic Gothic appearance. I like that she has strong convictions. Yeah. Yes. Odile is praised for being a creative powerhouse, spirited breaker of rules, and advocate of equality. And in 2013, she was even awarded French Female Architect of the Year. Woo! Nice. Yes. Her bold designs are also empowering and invigorating. Do you guys remember when we visited the building that she designed? Of course. The Macro in Italy. That was such a great project to visit. And such a breath of fresh air after seeing so many churches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really liked those spaces. And I remember the bathrooms especially. They had these glowing red sinks in the middle of the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jessica, what made you think of Odile as a carotid for Eileen? Okay. So, when I start to think of women in the modern movement, Eileen Gray was definitely a name that came up. She, to me is an icon in the modernist movement as a woman. When I think of icons today in the profession that are women, I thought of Zaha, but I also think of Odile. And the fact that she's French, I immediately made the connection between the two of them. Um, and much like Eileen, Odile's going to do what she's going to do. And she's going to, they're both very in tune with who they are as people. And when I look at the work that they produced, the macros interior spaces, they're so unique and intentional, like the red bathrooms and such. So that's very much like the E1027 villa. And I don't know. Uh, once I came across Odeo, it just made sense to put them together. Ta, is that Wi-Fi? Because I'm feeling a connection. Ooh, oh, girl. no. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You know there's more where that came from. I do. But please stop. You're yeah. no fun. I am so fun. <laughs> but seriously, I wouldn't have put Odile and Eileen together. But now seeing it through the Jessica lens, I like how you tied them together. Thank you. No, I agree. I think that um, I can see the connection between the two of them. They both follow the beat of their own drum, so to speak. Yes, I agree. OK, before we sign off, we want to give a special Go Rao Ma Agut to our buddy Mick for giving us an Irish crash course before this episode. <laughs> Go Rao Ma Agut to CMYK for the music, John W., our tech producer. And most of all, Go Rao Ma Agut for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning more about Eileen and Odile, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about them and our amazing professional ladies. Again, go Rama Agov. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, Cardia, your neighbors, your coworkers, give us five stars on iTunes, write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We're so excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. 
You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcasts at gmail.com, leave us a comment on our website at shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Slan leave go foil. Slan leave go foil. Slan leave go foil. Yeah, that's what I found on the internet. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.